The idea should always be to figure out how to translate your personality into the most impactful version of it so that you can really be yourself, be authentic, because that is the one thing that all of my clients say that they want to be. They always tell me, for example, if they're introverts, Nasheen, I'm an introvert. I absolutely don't want to be this loudmouth extrovert on stage, this person that I wouldn't be able to identify or that people wouldn't be able to identify me with. And I encourage them to stay, to remain introverted, but channel the most passionate parts of themselves, the most observant parts of themselves, the most interesting parts of themselves when they are speaking in public. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of Everyone Hates Marketers.com, the no fluff actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how to speak on camera or in real life without fear so you can stand the fuck out. My guest today is a executive public speaking coach, and I will need her help in that episode, I can tell you. She's helped more than 100 leaders to speak confidently on stage and on camera in six different countries. She comes from the Fortune 50 world. Uh, she managed marketing, training at uh, Procter & Gamble. She tried improv, bootstrap a startup to $1 million in revenue. She's done so fucking much. But I guess what I love the most about my guest today is that she has an eye for detail, an eye for branding, and she's running a very, very cool business, especially on LinkedIn, where I've discovered her. Noshin Chen, welcome. Thank you so much, Louis. It's great to be here. And I knew the one thing that you would not say that you love about me is that I'm French. I just knew that. Yeah. It's good that you're living in my in home country, but you're also living in Toulouse, which is the archenemy of Clermont, which is where I'm from in terms of rugby. So yeah, yeah, be, be careful. If you're listening to the audio version, she already is uh, threatening me with her fists. So be very careful. Okay. So if people are not looking to speak on stage, right? Like people listening that, no, that doesn't interest me. I don't want to do an event or conference or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Why should they care about improving their public speaking? The very first thing that I want to talk about is that public speaking is a widely misunderstood term. People think that speaking in public is exactly what you just said, speaking at a big stage or a big event, and it's only for CEOs or people that think they're really important or love hearing the sound of their voice, which is really, really far from the truth. Public speaking is speaking to more than one person at any given time. So we all do public speaking literally every single day, unless we're living on a mountain, which is also a perfectly valid way to live. But if you're not, if you're living in the real world, you are engaging in public speaking every single day of your life, every single time you are in a meeting, giving an interview, giving a presentation, even doing a sales call or a sales pitch with more than one person. You're speaking in public, so you absolutely need to invest in that skill. You can live on a mountain with Wi-Fi and do public speaking, also just by the way. So you mean the Unibomber or this kind of people, like living really off the grid. But for most yeah. folks listening, if you're listening to, to a podcast, it means you're probably in the London world and public speaking is definitely something that you should look into. Good. Okay. Now, I'm sure you've seen that Steve Jobs video mm -hmm. that everyone fucking talks about where he's announcing the new iPhone and it's being like critiqued and analyzed and reanalyzed and whatever. Um, yeah. So is it just as easy as 
mimicking what is done and just do that so you can be a good public speaker? Well, it's an art and a skill. Just like to be a great artist, you first need to learn the rules. You need to learn from the masters and then you can develop your own style. It's exactly the same with public speaking. You can absolutely learn the basics. You can learn the foundations of what good public speaking is about, using your voice, modulating your body language, making sure that you're showing and emulating the right energy. And you can learn from people that you're really inspired by. Yes, energy like Louis. You could absolutely try to mimic them or imitate them at first, if that is something that inspires you, and then develop your own style. The idea should always be to figure out how to translate your personality into the most impactful version of it so that you can really be yourself, be authentic, because that is the one thing that all of my clients say that they want to be. They always tell me, Nosheen, for example, if they're introverts, Nosheen, I'm an introvert. I absolutely don't want to be this loudmouth extrovert on stage, this person that I wouldn't be able to identify or that people wouldn't be able to identify me with. And I encourage them to stay, to remain introverted, but channel the most passionate parts of themselves, the most observant parts of themselves, the most interesting parts of themselves when they are speaking in public. Nice. I'm nodding because this is also something I hear quite a lot, which is folks want to stand out, but they want to do that while remaining themselves or without, while staying true to themselves. And so there's always this idea of not trying to play a role and because it is exhausting, right? You said it at the start of my career, that's exactly what happened. I was playing a role and after a while wearing three-piece suits, acting like a marketing consultant, like yet another marketing consultant, and it just gets very exhausting very fast. So I know a lot of people who are burning out because of it. There's another thing I like about you besides you living in France and being French, it's all good. It's the, your willingness to talk about mental health. So you don't really speak about public speaking from a rational perspective. I mean, you do, but the biggest thing that seems to be under all of that is the demons in our head, as you say, right? Let's maybe explain that as the foundation, as the core problem that folks need to solve. And then we can move on to a step-by-step -step actionable thingy. Sure. There is two connections there to mental health and they are slightly different. One is my own relationship with public speaking, which is usually a little bit different from the relationship that my clients have with public speaking. For me, I was like an extrovert in an introvert's body for a long time. I never really felt like I was important in my family, in my environment. I was the absolute youngest. I didn't have very high self-esteem. So I learned from a very early age to project this confidence because that's what I felt got attention. It got me the eyeballs and I always liked the attention. I liked people listening to what I had to say. And the only way to do it was for me to be on a stage. So I've had a very deep relationship with public speaking, but for the longest time, I was faking the confidence. I could really put on this show of being a very confident person on the outside, but on the inside, I never felt sure of myself. I was basically crumbling all the time. And when I started challenging that relationship and I started using some of that confidence and channeled it inwards, I was able to really 
improve my self-esteem and my own self-image, which was always a surprise to everyone. Wow, what? You seem so confident. You're so sure of yourself. Yeah, it's called putting on an act. My clients, on the other hand, have the opposite problem. And that's probably what you were referring to, that they are shy or timid or intimidated, or they have a fear. They have a fear of judgment. They have a fear of failing. They have a fear of being embarrassed when they're in the spotlight, when all eyes are on them and they have to perform under pressure. They feel the nerves. They feel that stress. So for sure, we start with the inner work and we also work on the outer stuff, which is what you said we'll talk about in a bit. That's the easy stuff, right? The tools that you can learn. But what I don't want is I don't want them for me to be like me, how I was even five years ago, where I could do all the tricks. I could use all the tools, check all the boxes. But inside, I would just always feel like an imposter or I would feel like I'm putting on a show. It's funny because it's very close to my experience. I always felt the need to get attention from my mom always felt like she wasn't giving me the attention I needed from a mother to a son. My dad was giving me plenty. My parents separated when I was very young. My dad was giving me plenty, but the coping mechanism I started to have was to be very loud. One of my teachers called me an intellectual terrorist in class. My stage was the class where I was always trying to poke holes in people's thinking or whenever a teacher was saying something slightly wrong and whatever. And so that's how I got my attention. And very similarly to you, I was crumbling inside. I really had low confidence and I didn't really like doing that, right? So it took years to realize how to channel that the right way and took years to make peace with the relationship I had with my mom and to move on. And this is why I think it's so important to talk about those topics first, because you can do whatever the fuck you want. You can mimic Steve Jobs all you want, but if you have the kind of issues and those type of thought process, the type of coping mechanism from your childhood or later on, that could stop you entirely from making progress. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're going to coach me today for free. I don't know how much you charge, but I can tell you it's going to be free for me. Let's say I can act as well. I can act as someone who's uh, as an extrovert because believe it or not, I'm an introvert who's mm -hmm. not shy. So meaning I enjoy being on my own. And in fact, that's pretty much what I prefer, right? Working on my own, doing my own thing. So that means I get energy from being on my own. That's the introversion. But I'm not shy. Like I can speak to people. I can public speak. That's not a problem. So I wanted to make that distinction because it's quite important. Introvert doesn't mean shy necessarily. Okay. Yeah. So let's say you're working with me and obviously folks listening want to improve their public speaking as well. So let's try to make it specific and actionable for them. But you can use me mm -hmm. as a template or an example if you want to. What's the first step? The very first step that I do with all my clients is that we try to figure out where they are, where are they starting from? What's their current level? So we do that through a self-assessment and we also do an anonymous peer assessment, which is something I get very excited about. And some of my clients get excited about, some of them get scared of, but I highly recommend that they do it because they've never done that before. You've never asked people around you how they perceive your communication skills. So that's the first step to really figure out where we are. And we also do a few exercises, improvised speaking exercises so that we can find out in the moment how you're able to speak and use your voice, your energy, your body language, your expressions, your eye contact. So pick one. If you had to pick one question out of the self-assessment or something that folks can do literally today to start 
auditing in a sense their public speaking skills, what would it be? The first question that I always ask is, what do you feel when you watch yourself back? When you watch a video of yourself back, either speaking at a podcast or presenting, and if someone says, I have never watched myself back, then I already know that they're not getting the data that they need to be objective. So I'm going to answer as of today, and then I'm going to answer as Louis from eight years ago. Today, I don't care. I can listen to my audio, I can look video, I can edit my own video. I'm not bothered whatsoever. I put my podcast sometimes on play when I forget what we talked about. I have no problem listening to it. Eight years ago, I probably would have cringed and say, oh, no, I hate the sound of my own voice and stuff like that. Yeah. And that shows real progression. It shows that you've worked on it and you've just done it so many times now that it's probably very easy for you to separate Louis, the host, the podcast host slash performer from the editor. That's the one thing that I do as well when I edit my videos, for example. The me who is editing is not the same person as the me who was performing. I can give myself feedback that way and I don't have to be so hard on myself. And once you do those many podcasts, those many videos, you realize it's fine. My hair wasn't perfect. My clothes weren't okay. My makeup was off. It's okay. People aren't going to care. People aren't going to remember. And the only person who thinks of it painfully is you. So stop giving yourself a hard time. Yeah, be easy on yourself. That's one very important tip about the alter ego. So that's a tip I give to folks to really separate the brand, the person acting, the, as you said, a performer with themselves as a marketer or someone who's trying to grow their business. And when you split the two, I play kind of a role here. I'm definitely like that in real life. My personality is I'm not faking it. But I'm exaggerating it a bit, like especially on LinkedIn or even on the podcast, because I know that's what people remember, uh, remember me for and whatever. I'm not that much of an ass in real life. <laughs> so doing the two, like saying I'm working for this guy instead of I'm this guy yeah. really helps. It really helps to remove the emotions out of it. So that's definitely a very good tip. Okay, so going back to that first step, how do I know whether I need to work on this? So is it because it's the first sign you can't listen to yourself, you can't watch yourself. That's the biggest telltale sign. That's a great question. I get a lot of my clients after they've had some kind of traumatic incident, which is, it's really sad, but that's the trigger. So for example, they've done a podcast and they've frozen. They've literally frozen or they've gone on stage and they've had to run off because they just couldn't remember what they had to say. Or they thought they did really well, everything went okay. And then they watched themselves back and they were like, what the hell? This is not me. That feeling is very unsettling. And that's when they realize they need help. When they feel that I'm not able to portray the real person that I am, my actual expertise. I can't articulate my ideas in the moment. What the hell? What's happening to me? So they come to me rather traumatized. That's so interesting in two ways. First, because I think people can recognize themselves in that type of events, but in a marketing viewpoint, like triggers is something I teach a lot, right? When it comes to standing out, understanding the triggers of the, your customers so you can speak to them at the right time. So knowing that folks come to you because there was like a massive, I wouldn't say failure, but I don't have a better word, a better word for that. Something that happened like an accident, like public speaking accident is like so interesting from a marketing perspective. You can think of campaigns all around that. Did you freeze on stage or did you don't know what to say on podcast? That will speak to the people. Anyway, 
So going back to the public speaking side of it, that's very interesting. So let's say for folks listening, they've been invited to a podcast, they've been doing a, a few YouTube videos to an event and that happened, right? There was this fucking, that wasn't good. What's the next step? The next step is to evaluate, like I said, and then after the evaluation is to start working on those basics that we talked about. So it's really this magic three formula that if you can master, you'll be able to really level up your speaking skills, at least on the outside, at least the speaking skills. So that's the first step that the three, the magic three formula is your voice, your energy and your body language. So I work on all three with my clients. Energy is usually the hardest. And then the voice and body language is usually the easiest one to master. Once I give them a few tips, they're ready to go. And at the same time, we build this feedback loop. And that's where the inner work comes in. So we're not just talking about how to perform for the camera. We're also talking about creating this feedback for yourself, for your own inner narrative, for your self-talk to tell yourself, okay, I can do this. I am armed. I have the right tools. So I will definitely not freeze the next time. And then I absolutely gently nudge them to go and do it again. That is a very important part, especially if you can go and speak in lower stakes settings. I have seen that to be transformative. So go and speak at your neighborhood coffee shop if they're having a storytelling event. Go and speak at your school at information sharing session. Go and speak to a group of friends. Just invite them over and say, I just want to talk to you guys about something. This is for my public speaking coaching. And they're going to think you're crazy. But if you do it, you do it in a lower stakes environment where you know that if you do fail, the stakes are low. It really, really helps in feeding that positive feedback loop. Then you can tell yourself, not only am I armed, but I actually did it. I did it. I didn't freeze. I was quite okay. I wasn't the best. But that means I can do it again. Nothing's going to stop me. That reminds me of the song from Queen. Don't stop me now. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about those three things. Energy, voice, body language. Um, yeah. I think we can do that right now since you can see me uh, to give an example. So mm -hmm. be very harsh with me, very critical. So how would you assess my energy to start with? Your energy is interesting because it's very you. I wouldn't say that you're high energy, but at the same time, you are animated in your own way. I already know you quite a bit from your content. So for me, it's a very pleasant Louis kind of energy. But I would say that it's not very approachable. It's not like you're making an extra effort to get me to like you. <laughs> That's such a nice way to say I'm an asshole and I act like one. Not at all. <laughs> No, it's you. It's very you. And I don't mind at all because I feel like we're friends. I feel like you're just being yourself and you're not putting on a show. Yeah. And that's the difficulty. In a sense, there's always a conundrum, a sort of a tension between the two, because on one hand, my mission here is not to make you like me. My mission is really to extract as much good info so that listeners like it. Right. And that's quite yeah. different from other podcast hosts who really focus more on making the guests look good. I know people value that a lot. And yeah, the way I have to go about it is the only way I know, which is to be very challenging and ask questions and ask why. And I know that it could come across sometimes as not being very approachable. When people work with me then 101, it's not the same goal, right? The goal is not to extract as much information as I can. The goal is to really help them because I truly care about them. 
And so they tend to say then that, oh yeah, like you're not at all like I imagined because I'm more like a teddy bear rather than a, a challenging teddy bear, but a nice teddy bear rather than an asshole. So actually that's very interesting. I'd love to hear your thought on that challenge. How would you treat it? How would you deal with it from like a, not just public speaking, but a general branding perspective? Yeah, that's why I said I like it. I like the way you're approaching it because it's part of your brand and you're in control. That for me is the most crucial part. You're aware of how you're being perceived and you're in control. Once you're in control, you don't have to get people to like you. You don't have to be people pleasing if you don't want to be. But you can be. You can turn on the charm if you want. The idea is that you're not overwhelmed by being on camera. You're not overwhelmed by the idea of having to perform that you forget to be who you are or you forget to be the brand that you want to portray. Great. Okay. Any tips to improve my energy based on that or not? Yeah. So like I said, energy is the absolute, the most difficult one to master. And we spend, typically we spend many, many sessions on energy. The very first thing is to really understand where your energy is coming from and to grasp this concept of turning yourself on for the performance, for the podcast or for the presentation or even for a sales call. You are not the same person as you were before when you were just kind of seated back and you were checking your email. You're not the same person. You have to turn yourself on. You have to turn on Louis. I have to turn on Nasheen. And understanding what you can do, both mentally and physically, physiologically, to do that, that is the core of the work that we do at that stage. So if you have to give me the best number one tip for that specific thing, what is it? It's to develop a pregame routine for yourself. Okay. Which means figure out for yourself what are the key steps you can take right before you need to be on, right before you need to perform. And what gets you in the zone? There is a laundry list of things you can do. Everything from meditating to dancing to your favorite song, to having your favorite beverage, to make doing some jumping jacks. And I also have these voice exercises and expression exercises that really prime the facial muscles. Like what? Oh, the expression exercise is a lot of fun where we take a specific sentence and we say it, well, not we, the person who's practicing it, says it in different moods and different styles. So Okay, let's do it. Everybody hates marketing, but I put the fun back in marketing or something like that. Or everybody hates marketing, but I'll make you hate it less. Does that suit you? Yeah. <laughs> Not very enthusiastic. Okay, so let's take that sentence. Everybody hates marketing. Is it marketing or marketers? Marketers. Everyone marketers. hates marketers. Everyone hates marketers but I'll make you hate yourself less. So let's take that. And you can say it first in a neutral voice. Everyone hates marketers, but I'll make you hate yourself less. Right. And now I'd like you to say it like you are saying it in an interview where you really want to make a great impression. A great impression. Mm -hmm. to, so to be liked. Mm -hmm. That's always a tough one. Everyone hates marketers, but I'll help you be hated less. I barely yeah. recognize that, Louis. I know. And now I want you to say it like you've had a really bad day and you don't mean it at all. That's very easy. <laughs> Everyone hates marketers, okay? And uh, I'll try to help you 
hate yourself less. Nice. I didn't believe that at all. Yeah. So that's the point. Okay. Thanks for those details. So going back to the energy, going back to the first step. So the tip you mentioned, I love it, is the pregame routine. The thing that I do with the pregame routine is I turn on the lights because they have light in front of me for the video. And I have a standing desk. So a standing desk that I can put in sitting position. Most time I work in sitting position, but for interviews, I always stand up. So I do that. And then depending on the energy that I have with the guests, usually the pregame routine starts is with them. Is like the countdown and I psych myself up the five, four, three, two, one. And then the introduction, because I record the intro with the guest, that's usually the last step, which is like I read. I don't read. I know it by heart. I talk about the first part and then mm -hmm. I read a bit of the rest. That usually yeah. works. If I had to use my favorite beverage, I will be drunk by the end of the, <laughs> of the interview. So I can't use that. There is a disclaimer there. Your favorite beverage that gets you into the zone that gets you the right energy. Not one that makes you super relaxed, too relaxed. Okay. Voice. So that's the second one. So energy, yeah. voice, body language. Now let's talk about voice. The first step is to understand what our voices are really capable of. And what does voice modulation really mean? It's a couple of different things. It's your pronunciation and enunciation, your pitch, your pacing, your pauses. And the fifth B is something that I advise against, which is projection. A lot of old school voice work focused on projection because you had to be in these theaters or you had to be in these auditoriums and really project your <laughs> voice. But if you do that on a podcast, if you do that on camera, like you will sound like, yeah, you'll be like a news announcer and people actually have that mode. I have clients who come to me and who turn on the news announcer mode. They don't even know why they're doing it but they just end up doing it. So that's the part I advise against, but we absolutely work on the pronunciation slash enunciation, the pitch, the pauses, and the pacing. So all of those have different exercises attached to them, different discussions attached to them. A lot of it is coaching as well, because for example, if you are not taking pauses, if you're used to speaking very, very quickly, that might be because of a learned behavior and it might not be a... It's a fear. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if I don't speak, I might show that I don't know what I'm doing, what I'm saying. Yeah. It's such an uncomfortable position when you are not confident because just looking around and it's such a tough thing to do when you're not confident. So what's your advice here when it comes to pausing? Pausing is probably the one thing I ask people to start doing from the first session. And it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of nudges from me, a lot of reminders. Something that we do in every single session is that we do speaking exercises that we record. And I always leave my notes when I have them wash them back during the week. So I always tell them to note like, look, here you went from thought A to thought B and you didn't pause. And that's why when you were on thought B, you actually had to repeat something three times. Because what happened was that your mouth actually didn't know what to say. Your brain wasn't giving it the info immediately because the brain needed a microsecond, but your mouth didn't have any other data. So it just pulled from the empty buffer and tried to throw out the last thing. And you've probably noticed it when people just start repeating things because they simply don't have the next thought, but they feel like they're under pressure to say the next thing. So it takes a lot of practice, but 
eventually they get more comfortable with the pauses. Yeah, I had never heard of that. And the reason why we repeat ourselves, thought A, thought B, that's actually very clever. Any other tip to give folks listening right now to improve things related to the voice? You have to think of how you can be understood in the best possible way. So going back to what you said about having this word vomit and just speaking nonstop and then speaking really fast and then not pronouncing, not pronouncing your words and like eating up your words. Try to really slow down and be deliberate about what you're saying. The more deliberate you are about your words, not only will you appear more confident, but you will also feel better because the signal you're sending to your brain is that every single word that I'm saying right now matters. It matters so much that I'm taking the time to enunciate it properly. I'm taking the time to pause so that the other person can actually understand and digest and reflect on what I've said. So I really stand by what I'm saying, every single word. I don't want you to miss a single word that I'm saying. Yeah, it's a generous way to think about it, right? It's for the other person. It's making sure they don't miss anything, making sure they really understand the nuances of it, of your thoughts and all of that. It's a very weird thing. Just as, a, as an aside, you know, when if I tell you right now, can you feel the tongue, your tongue in your mouth? We start feeling it now and then you don't know what to do with yeah. the tongue. Very much the same when we're talking about voice and stuff. Now I'm so fucking in a loop of being careful about <laughs> what I'm saying because you're analyzing everything. So I'm going to have to forget about it. Okay. Anything else you want to say on the voice? Just to share maybe a little insight. I know a lot of folks listening are not native speakers. Both of us are not, mm -hmm. right? At least I didn't know how to speak English for a long time. It used to be something that I was very self-conscious about. I even looked at potentially getting coached on the pronunciation and stuff like that to really like almost remove my accent. And then I realized that was one of the top things people remembered about me. And I just decided to double down on it. So it's also a tension that I have between being understood and keeping my accent. What are your thoughts on that? First, I pretty much... See, the, the, the term native speaker is always very confusing for Pakistanis because we do grow up speaking in English. Yes, like we, right, yeah. we learn two languages at the same time. But the difference between us and other native speakers is that our environment is not always English speaking. So we create this cocoon, this bubble when we're growing up. But other than that, on accents, I prefer taking on accents of the environments that I'm living in. But I don't encourage my clients to do something they're not comfortable with. So I always tell them that the accent is always very beautiful and memorable, just like you said. But when the accent is becoming an issue, when you are not being understood, that's when you have to just pay attention to very specific words. And again, that whole exercise of recording yourself, watching yourself back, hearing yourself back really helps because even native speakers really start mixing up specific words and they actually aren't understood. Just because you're a native speaker, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a good public speaker or that you're going to be understood. Not at all. So it's once you start paying attention to how you're enunciating, whether it's in an accent or not, you are going to be understood. And that's you'll see that shift happen. Yeah. Don't take that accent for granted. Obviously, you live with it. That's the only thing you know, but others notice it. And it's one of the biggest assets you can have as a personal brand. So, okay. Energy, voice, body language now. The easiest, really, because relatively, yes, 
it's easy to teach. So when you're on stage, the one thing that a lot of beginners do is that they move a lot and they move uncontrollably. So they'll always be just doing this, just swaying on their feet, or they'll be taking like a few steps here and a few steps here, just constantly like a twitch. So the first thing is that I tell them to plant their feet solidly on the ground and then use their upper half to show their animation and show their passion and gesticulate. That too, gesticulate in a controlled way. And I learned this really the hard way because I remember my first presentation at Procter & Gamble when I was just fresh out of undergrad and I knew that I really wanted to speak and present, but my hands were just like this all the time. And I remember after one, they were juggling. Yeah, it was just so distracting. And my, I remember my boss telling me after one of the presentations saying, not bad, but why are your hands not in control? What's up with that? What's going on? So I had to really learn to control my gestures. And it really brings us back, right, to what I was saying earlier. Once you're in control of your body language, then you can really manipulate it. Then you know when to take steps towards the audience. Because just because I told you to remain planted, to start off being planted on the ground, doesn't mean you have to remain there. But it means be deliberate, be intentional, understand when to go towards the audience, when to go away from them, when to walk across the stage, when to come back. And when you translate this to on camera, it becomes easier in a lot of ways, but also harder. For a lot of people, especially ones that are actually used to presenting in person, it becomes harder because they can't move. So their energy goes down and they forget that they still have the upper half of their bodies to play with. And then they start like making gestures here out of the frame, which doesn't really help. They forget that they need to know where the frame is and where their hands are going to be. And if you can show your hands in the frame, you're actually showing more of yourself you're actually establishing more trust and more credibility, unless you're Louis, in which case you already have credibility, so you don't need to add more to it. Why are you like, don't, don't do this to me. I told you, before. <laughs> you don't need to make, to make me like you or like be complimented. Like, no, no, no. Be honest. My wife keeps telling me that I'm famous sometimes. Like she likes to say that and remind her that if you look at the percentage of people who know me, there's a percentage who don't. It's absolutely fucking abysmal. So it's the beauty of the internet and the creator economy of, of today, right? It's the fact that you can really make a living and enjoy yourself with a tiny, 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 tiny portion of the population, something that wasn't available a few years ago. We talked about the energy, the voice, the body language. You said something interesting about when to walk towards the audience, when to walk across the stage. When should you do it? That's just stereotypical public speaking format. It depends on your content. When you're asking them a question, for example, it would make sense to walk towards them. When you're talking about something that is a huge or a widely understood fact, or let's say that you want to show them some part of your narrative is about sadness or going into yourself, then you can walk away from them. So it's very linked to your content. The one thing that you should always be doing, though, is making sure that you are making eye contact with the whole audience. Again, something that I've seen a lot of people do is ignore a part of the audience, not because they want to, but because they're not in control. They forget. So walking across the stage in that way really helps. And that you can actually do randomly if you like. 
let's say that you've spent some time in the middle, which really should be like your home base, you can take a few steps to the right and spend some time there. The one thing I would not advise you to do is to just constantly be walking across the stage like a tiger in a cage. That <laughs> is really distracting. Have specific points for yourself, typically three work, one in the middle and one on either side. Walk in between them and then spend some time in each spot as you're speaking to a section of the audience and then go back and go to the other side so that your attention is equally divided between the entire audience. As an aside, I want to talk about your personal brand for a second. If folks are listening to the audio version, they won't see your hair as an example, but you have like long purple hair, but that wasn't always the case, right? So was it a very deliberate choice to do, so to dye your hair purple and use that as the core color because in the background as well, you have a purple thingy. Yeah, the hair came first. I have been an experimenter with my hair ever since I can remember. It's been red, it's been bright electric blue, and it happened to be purple when I started building my personal brand. And I didn't think too much of it as it had been purple for about two years before that or so. And I Maybe I was even thinking of maybe going back to blue at some point. I liked my electric blue. And then people started noticing it and they made a big deal out of it. And so I stuck with it. And so then everything else that's purple about me came later. And then yellow ended up in the picture as well, because yellow and purple are complementary colors and just purple everywhere is boring. So that's how I built it around something that I already had. I call that paying attention to the little accidents or the things you take for granted. That's something that most people do. They take everything about them for granted because they live with it all day, every day. But pay attention to what people notice. And it could be very silly. I started to say bonjour, bonjour in the podcast in the first few episodes. I don't know why. Honestly, I actually don't fucking remember. But <laughs> then I started to get emails from listeners that would mimic it and I say bonjour, bonjour back. And so I was like, okay, nice. let me triple down on it. So now on every single email I send, every single intro of the podcast, every greetings with others who interview me, it's always bonjour, bonjour. So I think it's paying attention to that. And that's why I was asking you the question is so, so important to build a strong brand. And you're a great example of it. As I said, at the start, you. you're cognizant of those things. And that's mm -hmm. half the battle already won. Yeah, because like you said, it's about attention and memorability and you have to find your own corner of the internet. They have to remember you after they're exposed to your brand. Exactly. Distinctiveness. You have to be distinctive and you have to be noticed. It's the war on attention, unfortunately. So you either play the game or not. So going back to the public speaking advice, we talked about the energy, the voice, the body. And what is your number one tip when it comes to doing it for real? So like actually going after having this kind of disaster, let's say I was speaking at my local chamber of commerce and I froze. I absolutely didn't know what to say. I started to look at the audience who were like amused and I just left right now. I work with you. I work through all of those stuff. I got feedback. I practice, but then it's the real deal. Apart from starting small, which you already mentioned, what is your other advice on this? The starting small really helps and then easing yourself back into it. So absolutely try, try the same place again. And this time, because you've gone through the coaching, because you're now ideally more aware of not just your voice, energy and body language, but also your mindset, you're also 
documenting things as you go along. That's something I encourage everyone to do, everyone I work with, that when you're making that video, doing that podcast, doing that presentation that you're very scared of, after you go through it, document it for yourself. How was the experience? How did you feel before it? How did you feel during it? What was it that you were able to do that helped you go on and not freeze and not repeat the behaviors that you didn't like earlier? So because you are more aware of yourself, your environment and the triggers that you might have, whether good or bad, you will hopefully have a very different experience the second time around. Have you heard about this? I don't know if it's a cognitive bias or just an evolutionary thing that humans have, but a few scientists have uh, hypothesized that the reason why we are mostly afraid of public speaking is because of the number of eyes on us. And that's from the evolutionary perspective where if you have too many eyes on you, it's trouble. Not necessarily human eyes, but obviously like tigers and shit like that. So do you know anything about this, the origin or do I need to Google it? Yeah, absolutely. It's also being on a stage. So you're away from people that can protect you from your community, from your tribe. You're isolated and you're in a place where you can't run or hide and everyone is looking at you. So all of those factors combined, absolutely, evolutionarily, they're all bad things. They're all things that really alert that fight or flight response in us. And that's where all the adrenaline comes from. That's where you feel either that you need to fight, which is when you just power through it, or absolute worst case, you need to fly. You need to just run away, you freeze. And neither one of those responses is good, of course, because even powering through it at 150 kilometers an hour and not being in control and just getting it over with doesn't really do justice to your expertise and your brand. What do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10, 20, 50 years? How to speak as the most impactful version of themselves, whether they're on a Zoom meeting with a potential client or they're doing a podcast or they're doing a presentation or a sales pitch. What are the top three resources you'd recommend, folks? It could be anything from podcasts to anything at all. Oh, gosh. There's so much. I love the TEDx and the TED channels on YouTube because you can really find anything you like there. But you have to take it with a grain of salt. Every single TED speech or TEDx speech has been rehearsed and practiced, and it's close to perfect. So it's good to watch them to understand what the level of refinement can be. But do you need that level of refinement every time you do a presentation? No, not at all. That is a great resource once you understand that is something that you can do to really analyze the tools great speakers are using when the stakes are high. There are so many books. There's Confessions of a Public Speaker. That's one that I love. There's Talk Like Dead, which I also really like. There's a lot of resources in the sense of just data around you. And that's what I really encourage people to do. Stop just consuming things as a consumer whether it's the next YouTube video that you watch or even the next TV series that you watch, start analyzing it as a co-producer, as a producer of that kind of content. Try to understand, even if you're watching an actor on TV, how are they using their voice? What kind of expressions are they using? How are they using their body? How is it making you feel? What is it conveying to you? And once you start being a more active consumer instead of a passive one, then every single day you're just getting so much data that you can learn from 
to the point where good speaking tools will become second nature. Okay, I think we covered it all. All my questions are answered. And uh, I really appreciate your, the way you come across and the way you explain things. You clearly, for a public speaking coach, know how to public speak. So that's good. That was enjoyable. Thanks so much for your time. And before I let you go, where can people connect with you and learn more from you? I'm always on LinkedIn. You can find me. Cool. I am I am the only Noshin. <laughs> I'm the only Noshin I Chen on LinkedIn. And maybe you can add a link somewhere in the podcast for that. So reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very happy to connect with you and answer any other questions that I may not have answered during this very comprehensive podcast. <laughs> All right, we'll end it here. Bye. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.